Here we go, here we go. Let's pray, let's go. Okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, Invocavit, the first Sunday in Lent. O God, who, O God, by whose spirit we're led into the wilderness of trial, grant that standing in the strength against the powers of darkness, we may so win the victory over evil that with singleness of heart we serve only you through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so the first, you remember, this is kind of a famous, this was the famous uh, week where Luther, uh, you know, he went into the Wartburg and they forced the people to take the Holy Supper in both kinds, and Luther came back and took the chalice away because he said people weren't ready for that. So, you know, that's an amazing kind of story because Luther, who's all about the scriptures and doing it the Jesus way, undoes it. So that was kind of interesting. So it's a kind of a famous... Uh, Can you tell us the I can't tell you the story. So Luther, you know, he went to the Diet of Worms, and on the way back, he's kidnapped. So at the Diet of Worms, shortly after, he was granted safe passage, but nobody ever really knew if safe passage meant there and back or just there, right? So uh, he's leaving, and he gets intercepted and kidnapped by, um, there were three guys, and they were, anyway, they were kidnapped by some knights and taken off into the woods. And there had been this decree that anyone who kills Luther does a favor to both the Pope and the Emperor. So people thought, ah, you know, he's done for. They took him to, you know, one of the, it's like Chicago, you know, the parks. Every once in a while they find a shallow grave. And, you know, it's like that. Luther would be, he goes to the Wartburg. He stays there for 10 months, I think. He's unbelievably productive, including translating the New Testament from Greek into German. But all these writings come out. So he's alive. He sends all these writings out. But um, people with more enthusiasm and less brains take over parts of the Reformation. And, of course, if you want people to um, get better, what do you do? You force them to get better, right? And so there are all these things being imposed on people. And you can only imagine that people who for a 1,000 years had heard the same thing, now somebody comes in and says, for example. So, I don't know, the story, we don't exactly know why the chalice was taken away from the congregation. It probably was for a good reason. Uh, although twisted, which is in the 9th and 10th century, 11th century into France, you see this great piety around um, taking the body and the blood. And so you remember, you know, we have, uh, if you grew up in a a Catholic church, you might have had a point where the altar boy slid the patent under your chin in case it dropped out, it would fall on the patent and you wouldn't drop Jesus on his head on the floor, right? And then uh, there was a practice that grew up in France where the priest would, drink, communicate himself through a straw so that he wouldn't spill. See, you can see how the piety is growing now. So you don't want it to fall to the ground. You don't want any drops anywhere. So now, and then the people sort of say, well, if, you know, if the priest, you know, who's got, and all by this time you have a cult of the priest being better than everybody else. So, you know, if the priest doesn't even want to spill, um, I couldn't possibly take a chance. Along with this arises the idea that if you just see, if you just see the Eucharist taking place, that's as good for you as if you actually take it. And so um, the ringing of the bells, which is a good thing when it says, Jesus has come from heaven to earth for you to eat and to drink, got short-circuited into, hey, just look up and see it, but stay where you are. So you, you had this regression from taking the body and the blood to just taking the body to not taking anything at all. And um, this gets inculcated over a couple of centuries. And you can imagine then when, uh, you know, these guys, Karlstadt was the guy, he's another reformer, ally, kind of frenemy of Luther. He was, he, was a, he was horrible to Luther over the course of the years. And Luther was, you know, a bit of a brat himself, as you recall. But um, 
when Karlstadt had nothing, and he was, he was the kind of guy who rubbed everybody the wrong way, and so the, they kicked out. He kept getting kicked out, and pretty soon you got nowhere to go. Uh, in his old age, when he had absolutely nothing, he appears on Luther's doorstep, and Luther takes him in, takes care of him, and lets him die in his house. It's kind of an interesting story. Uh, but anyway, so Luther then has been hiding out so nobody will kill him, and he's just like, I've had enough. So he goes back to Wittenberg and publicly displays himself again and says, um, this is too much too fast. People have to learn and grow into things. And so he actually takes the chalice back away from the people. So they didn't have the chalice. They did have the chalice. They didn't have the chalice. And then he sort of, and you should recognize this from St. John then, you teach people into things, right? You teach people. You don't force people into things. You teach people into things. So, for example, somebody said to me last week, why don't you just kiss the altar then? Because I've said to you a thousand times, right, we should kiss the altar because the altar is Jesus. And, you know, if you, don't, if you kiss your wife good morning, then you should kiss Jesus this morning. If you kiss your wife goodbye, you should kiss Jesus goodbye, right? So traditionally, when we go to the altar for the first time, it's traditional for the pastor to kiss the altar. Why? Because the altar is Jesus. The same reason you kiss the book during the... The, the book is Jesus, right? You kiss the cross, right? You're used to this people kissing their crosses. Why? Because it's Jesus in some real sense, which I'm going to talk to in just, just a second because I want to explain just a little bit about the margin comment. Anyway, so Luther gives this famous sermon called the Invocavit Sermon because it was for this Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent, where he says, this is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. So kind of interesting stuff. Um, I always wonder whether you'll... Oh, wait, I've got to say other stuff. Um, one... <laughs> So many things to say. Uh, if you were, the first service was great. Um, all you dads pinching your kids to make them cry, congratulations. <laughs> and all you moms settling them down, congratulations to you too. Um, so uh, it was, I mean, it is great. And it's interesting, we rarely had this. We had two or three kids just go off the rails this morning. And uh, it was nice. I mean, it was kind of nice. Because you know what's nice about it? Everybody's like, there's a mom there, it's going to be fine. Right? It was great, right? Because you just kind of absorb it, and it's all good. I will say to you, though, as I, I periodically say to you, um, you know, I love it that the kids run free, uh, but all, some mom or dad should always be wandering into the hallway and looking around, a couple of dads or a couple of moms. You don't let them wander too free, right? Because the doors are open, and keep an eye on everybody, and everybody else's kids, too. It'll be fine, but keep an eye on people, so that's good, too. Uh, Wednesday night, I mean, I don't want to bribe you to come to church on Wednesday, but it is the food truck at 6 o'clock. Think about it, right? The food truck will be here with pulled pork, the barbecue, macaroni and cheese. Think about it. You may be fasting. That'll be more for me and Pastor Nelson, who apparently needs it from his sermon this morning. Poor man. Uh, Hopefully his kids will be able to come and have a full plate. That would be nice. Poor Holly, you know, so I don't know. Uh, So... um, you know, if you're fasting, you know, uh, figure it out. But I hope everybody, everybody going, you're going okay? You got any questions about anything? You're fasting, kind of your discipline? Just keep going. Um, if you've sinned against your fast, then you should go to the women's retreat. And as your penance, you should stay overnight. Because uh, if we get a certain number of people staying overnight for the hotel rooms, that's the reason we get the meals free and blah, 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 blah. So you should stay overnight. Where are we staying overnight? Not we, but you. Where are we? You? At the Marriott this year, yeah. So I think the place from last year, suddenly everything is filled up way in advance. So it's just the Marriott just across 88. Sign up. Actually, the guy is really good. He, he did the pastor's conference here, and that's how we got to know him. And there were a lot of similarities we found between St. John and what he's doing. He's a guy who was at a, 
uh, a flourishing church assistant guy in Houston, or somewhere in Texas, maybe not Houston, but uh, in any case went to New York and has a dual parish in Brooklyn and Manhattan. How much more hipster can you be? Uh, but part of it is then he has to, uh, his, his deal with the church was that he would earn half of his own salary by doing speaking gigs and other things around. So he's out and around. He's an interesting guy. He's going to Arcadia this summer. I noticed he's on the Arcadia um, gig, so that's kind of the seal of approval. Okay, so that, this. Um, you notice downstairs there's a, uh, so congratulations. Um, one of the, uh, Downstairs there's a very, uh, it's beautiful, very tasteful thing that says in the first half of the year you've given about a, $125,000 outside the church to, to missions and the seminary and da, 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 da. Congratulations. That's a lot of money. You know, our budget, I don't even know exactly what it is, one six or one seven. So, you know, we're approaching 10% of it. That's not a law for me, but it's kind of nice to see. We're going to, you know, if we kind of hit that metric, we approach eight, nine, ten percent of our money going out the door. That's nice, right? So take a look at that. Congratulations. Tend your giving. Um, Giving is up uh, a good share over last year at this time, so congratulations for that. Now, don't get sloppy on me, okay? <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, I mean, uh, it's not lost on me that, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you have more money than you did on the 9th of November, so, or the 8th of November, okay? So, you remember, I just want to recall for you, those of you who are here, I did give a speech once and said to you, all your 401ks are up 30%, now would be the time to give to St. John, and you didn't all do it, and then how did the Lord punish you? That's right. With the S&P going to, think about it. Where did it bottom out? Who knows? Six, six, six. I rest my case, okay? (laughs) It's like Jesus saying to you, don't make me come over there. This would be the time for you to... uh, You know, you can can give it to us and not pay taxes on it. That would be good for you. Anyway, thank you. Tend your giving. Giving is very good uh, compared to last year. Expenses are w- well-managed. Everything's working, but always more to do because we still have $3.5 million from the bank and blah, 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 So and stuff breaks and birds fly in the side of the building and some knucklehead ran you know, pipes down the walls and they leak, and why did they do that? We just don't know, but we know Jim Butcher, so it's all going to work out, right? <laughs> Don Raisler's here all morning yesterday. You know, it's going to be fine. But So uh, tender giving is part of that. There is a long thing about... Um, the summer camp in, in Russia, in Siberia, today at the end. So take a look at that. And then the last thing is, is you know, why this um, long thing about exorcisms and sacramentals and all this? The answer is because Lutherans aren't this practical. It's very nice when somebody says to you, hey, I've repented of a lot of things. How do I keep from doing that again? And somebody says, well, come on, this is obvious. You should go to the Eucharist, and you should say your prayers. And... Um, you should fast at Lent, and then the notion about sacramentals. Now, some of you, because you're Lutheran and you grew up saying when somebody said, when the Greeks, you know, took salt and threw it over their shoulder, or when, you know, your Uncle Tom Spellacy had, um, you know, holy water taped to the dashboard of his car, and you were driving too fast, and he would reach for it. You remember these? Oh, that only happened to me? Okay, so uh, when I would drive Tom Spellacy's car, he would always reach for the holy water on the dashboard. Yeah, I thought it was funny. So, um... <laughs> You know, but you start to say, what is that all about? Well, here's the thing. You do that, too, because if you have a crucifix, for example, in your, cro- in your house, you know, the crucifix is blessed in a sense of sacramental. We bless the sanctuary. We bless the bells. We bless things into good use. Now, whether you want to embrace every last thing or not, at least the point is there that there are 
you know, some things that are good for you to have around. They remind you, they protect you, and, you know, sort of read the stories. They're, they're interesting stories about very practical things. You know, you might not hook, line, and sinker everything that you pick up, but it's very difficult for me to find week after week something that I think would be edifying for you. And frankly, you know, sometimes the Lutheran boundaries are so narrow that it's kind of boring to read the same thing somebody wrote with different words last year. You need to kind of be more broadly exposed to the life of the church, right? And then you have to sort out a few things, but that's not going to hurt you. You're all smart people. So think about that. Last thing, did anybody get a postcard from me this week? Good, then we'll talk about it next week. Okay, good. (laughs) All right, uh, anything? Bueller? Bueller? Yes, Byron, almost Bueller. What? Uh, Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, so our guys went, uh, the men and women went out and helped with the storm damage, and it's great to have it. It's all wrapped up and ready to pull. Um, it is, in fact, true that they're very appreciative of you coming out and they do stop. They also think you're sponsoring a NASCAR car. And that's part of the reason they always come to you, because they're looking for autographs from famous guys. I mean, they see Rich Wren. He looks a little like, you know, one of the Bush brothers. I don't know which one, but it's, it's just like that, right? Uh, also, the people at Belvedere, I told you, Emmanuel Lutheran are lusting in their heart about your trailer. This is true. I had dinner with their pastor the night. He said, come on. I said, what? He's like, the trailer? He said, do my people have to come back to me and say, Pastor, why don't we have a trailer like St. John? Now, I had to practice some humility, but secretly in my heart, yes, I was proud and even happy about this thing, right? But you should frown a lot when it happens to you, okay? Anyway, it's very, very nice. Um, so those people, I mean, it's great. It's great. And if you want to do that, I mean, if you want to wield a chainsaw and go help, and it is dangerous work, and you do kind of spur of the moment things. It doesn't always have to be going a long way away. I mean, this is the second time we've been out in that direction, or third, right? We've been out there several times, different times. Yes? Uh, well, I can put them in touch with some people who know how to do this. Uh, they, they talk to me on Yeah, I mean, it's startlingly good, right? I mean, it's just so much fun that it's that good. Yeah, it is. It's really good. So congratulations. Good job, all of you, right? Be careful, okay? Hi, Marianne. How are you? Speaking of Yes? Lindsay didn't tell me. Is she here? She's not here. Where do you want to give it, Marianne? Well, okay, well, I'll find another Christian then. I mean, there's got to be somebody somewhere. Where should we give uh, young shite, youngest shite? Where do you want to give money? Pick something. I mean, isn't it a great problem to have in the church? Hey, we got money. We don't know what to do with it. Oh, I don't know. We'll just have to figure something out. We did soup kitchen last week. Anybody know? What's last in line? People's Resource Center. Thank you very much. And let me also say, by the way, there's a very nice note from you in, about People's Resource Center that people should bring food over these days. Uh, very nice note on the last page of uh, Life Together Today. So bring some food for poor people, for goodness sakes. Right? I mean, you get the food truck. You can bring that. Okay? All right, ready? All right, here we go. So we're trying to make sense of these two things, that um, God is this man and this man is God. 
We're trying to make sense of these two things. Now, I just, especially since it comes at the beginning of Lent, we should actually, I tried to um, give you this notion that, or pick up this notion at least of Jesus' kingship and what sort of king he should be. And you see it in some sense exercised in the gospel for this morning where Satan comes and tries to undo him. But pause. One other thing I wanted to say in the little thing today. Um, sometimes Lutherans protest the notion between mortal and venial sins. It's, um, hey, here's the thing. When you're driving your car, there's less, there's a range of dangerous things you do. Some are less dangerous, some are more dangerous, right? You know? Um, that's how mortal and venial sins work. Venial sins sin against, so sometimes I just want to kind of give it to you so you don't sort of get a rash or rebel against that automatically. Venial sins are things where you break love with God. Jesus says, I really love you, please do this. And you say, you love something other than Jesus, right? So you, um, speak ill of somebody else or tell a lie. But mortal sins are not just breaking love with Jesus. They're actually breaking fellowship. It's idolatry. You know, and the church has always said there's some things like murdering another person. You can't, you can't murder another person and still say, I'm a, child of, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of God, or I'm acting as a child of God. Right? I wouldn't want to dis- disabuse you of the notion that you're always God's child. But you know, so the, the danger here, there is a, there's sort of, sort of a range of danger, right? And so just kind of think about it in that way. I wanted to say that to you before because it can be helpful. It is, of course, that any sin destroys you. And, you know, a ton of venial, a, a venial sin can kill you or a ton of venial sins can put you in a horrible place. But there are some ways where you simply turn away from God. It's the difference between being, you know, saying, hey, I'm a Christian and coming to church, but you do these things versus you just say, I'm out. Right, and my actions prove that I'm out. It's just this huge danger sign. That's the biggest thing for you to kind of think about. There's some things, just you know, just don't touch that. That will be the end of you, right? So um, anyway, the point of that is then Jesus the King comes, and you have this um, very interesting thing that'll play out in Holy Holy Week when they put Jesus on trial, and you remember the kind of famous thing where Pilate says, behold your king, right? In kind of a backhanded way, a prophecy of sorts, a truth of sorts, certainly a question to the people, behold your king, to which, and this is, of course, the same question for you in Lent, you can say, yeah, that's my, that's my king, and, you know, with all that that means, with all that that means, that's my king, Right? As in, my king is going to the cross, and I'm going to the cross too. In humility, I'm going to the cross. Behold your king. And then the response, of course, is uh, mortal sin. We have no sin but, or I'm sorry, we have no king but Caesar, right? So we turn away in idolatry from this king, born of Mary, and we say, you know, we have our own king. And in some question, that's, in some sense, that's the only question in life that matters, um, and that's what the creed is trying to pull you into, that this king of yours in this particular part of the creed is, he shows you his tenderness in this. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So six ways of saying he's divine. God is this, then, then the finish, God is this man. God is this man, and what does that mean? And so uh, for us, you know, we actually believe this. We actually believe that 
the kingdom of God has come among us. When we pray in church today or when you pray tonight, when you go to bed or through the day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, you know, that's a, you begin with this praise of you're my Father and you're in heaven and all that you do is holy. Your kingdom come, can heaven please come to earth? Your will be done. So for us, this goes very easily to justification and sanctification. Your kingdom come, heaven comes to earth. The kingdom of God in the shortest way is the forgiveness of sins. And the King Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice or the victim who gives you that forgiveness. Your kingdom comes, so you beg that heaven comes to earth. The perfection of heaven would come to earth and everything would be made right again. Wrongs would be made right. Your kingdom come. You're begging for forgiveness. Because the thing is, if you get forgiveness, everything else works out again. When everything is forgiven, then everything is perfect, and then everything works. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So we would agree with that then. We beg that it would come, and then we pray that we live in it. It's justification and sanctification. It's deliver it to us, and let us make good use of it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Come on. Let me do your will. We all the time pray for God's will, what's God's will. And we kind of always think, you know, should I take this job or that job, right? Or should I have another child or not? Or should I get married? Or blah, blah. Those are details, right? The more important question for you and I, especially at Lent, is will I be forgiving? Will I be forgiving? Because if you're forgiving, everything else works out, right? That's part of the message of the cross. That's part of the point of the king going to the cross and being utterly humiliated because the way of love, which is specifically applied to us as the way of forgiveness, right? That makes all things new. That's the point of the resurrection. So you're begging that the kingdom would come and that you could live in it. You're begging that forgiveness would come to you and you'd forgive other people. And so when forgiveness comes and everything is made right between you and God, there's no rub. In the same way, when everything is made right between you and other people, there's no rub. Everything else is a detail. You know, the will of God primarily is that you would be forgiven and forgive, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Kingdom, it, it's complete parallel with kingdom come, thy will be done. Forgive us and let us be forgiving. Make sense? The rest is details. I mean, the Lord doesn't care whether you're Joe Holmes selling cars or whether you go be a pastor in Murfreesboro, although... You know, he's probably better at being a pastor. You should go visit Joe. I told you. It's like, it's like, you're, walking down, it's like you're walking downtown with the mayor. Literally, when, we're, when I was with Joe, the mayor stopped to talk to him. I'm like, who is the mayor here, actually? Is it you, Joe, or is it this guy? The police chief stops and talks to him. It's like, it's like Joe is running that town. We should, there probably should be an FBI investigation there. I mean, think about it, okay? So, um, you know, I sort of, you know, for us, you know, heaven is already here. I mean, Jesus is already here, forgiveness is already here, possibility is already here, holiness is already here, the Eucharist is already here, baptism is already here. For us, heaven is already here, which is why you should probably worry less. Because the Lord has sorted it out for you, right? And the stuff you're worrying about, look, at the end of the day, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to drop dead or somebody you love is going to drop dead. And after that, there's a resurrection. And after there's a resurrection... Everything is good. So you should probably worry less. It's hard to intuit um, on a bad day. You should stoke up on a good day. Because it's hard to remember that uh, when you're in the midst of it, that Jesus' death and resurrection is a sign for things that will happen 
to you in the future. It's hard when you're in the midst of it. When you're suffering it, it's very hard, right? So I have to practice. You, know, you practice the disciplines, right? Um, you know, di- disciple and discipline go together. You practice the disciplines because why? Because the disciplines are a good thing that God gives you. Jesus fasts, and then he says to you, when you fast too. Jesus prays, and he gives you his prayer, and then he says, when you pray too. Jesus forgives, and then he says to you, when you forgive, right? These are, these are disciplines, but they're not, they're not to hurt you. This is, these are gifts. This is like, you know, um, you know uh, did you grow up any place where they had electric fences? Did you have older cousins? And did they say to you, lick this happened to you? I know it did. Hey, have you seen this before? Hey, let me show you something here, right? Okay, I don't need to tell the rest of the story because you either grew up on a farm or you didn't. But, you know, right? I mean, those things are, the Lord gives you those things because they're good for you. The disciplines are good. It's good for you to fast, right? It's good for Pastor Nelson to go hungry at dinner. It's good for him, right? Um, He'll adjust. It'll take about 40 days and things will be fine. Holly goes to the grocery store a couple more times and, you know, the kids will be without shoes because they're buying more food. It'll be fine. It'll all be good for them. Got to not worry about stuff quite so much, okay? Well, this is, this is what happens then in the early church. And you know, um, for you who, and I, who so easily think that the church is all about white folks, uh, of course, you know, the Nicaeans in Turkey. And they gathered all the bishops in one place, and they all got to bring a deacon and a priest if they wanted. Uh, primarily, it was people from the east. So there were people who didn't look like us, by the way. You know, there might have been, you know, the odd Irishman or, or, or Brit, uh, but... Uh, primarily, this is a Middle Eastern affair, and um, it's pretty tough going in a lot of ways. And, you know, different people counted noses different ways, but kind of 318 is the, was the great tradition of the church. Um, and uh, you get, you, you, you know, they all get in one place. They, there were about 1,800 bishops then, and they, they, uh, 318 of them show up just um, south of Istanbul, right? Um, you know, probably the last place on my tick list of places where I really feel like I have to go before I die is to stand in Hagia Sophia, right? And see the Cappadocians too, but to stand in Hagia Sophia where, you know, the chap, the best they can, the, I mean, I have a picture of it in my, I've, I've run it for you before, but the, when, when Hagia Sophia was dedicated in Istanbul, so this is like 600-ish or something, the, chap, the chalice and the altar had the same inscription, Around the ring of the chalice, it says, Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. Right? And just kind of think about that in terms, of this, in terms of this conversation. Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. So, O Lord, your thing of your own son. So what is it? Your blood from your own son we offer you, O Lord. It's the most beautiful thing. Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. This is the whole nonsense notion when people suggest that somehow it's not the blood in the chalice. It's not what people were thinking. They were thinking it. That's exactly what they were thinking, right? That's it. Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. It's the most beautiful thing. And it's the only thing that makes you safe, by the way. Because, of course, it can't be your sacrifice because you can't bring a sacrifice that means anything. But Jesus' sacrifice put between God and me, kind of like insulation on the wire, everything is going to be fine, right? And because of the inscription, well, they knew when they found it, because they knew that the altar had the inscription, 
and the chalice had the matching inscription. It's glorious stuff, right? So um, they, these bishops come, and we did this a little bit last week. Athanasius has kind of leads the way, and the church is almost split for the letter I. And so um, for, for one letter, right, for one letter, for one letter, the church is almost split. Homoousius, which is the same stuff, and a letter I in the middle. Homoousius, which is similar stuff. That was the choice. Nicaea is primarily about that, about that single letter, right? People shed blood over this. People were killed, exiled, banished, excommunicated, for this single thing, whether you could say of Jesus, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, right? That he was homo usius, the same stuff as the Father. A different person, certainly. So Jesus is a person, the Father is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. Person, person, person. But they share the same divine stuff from forever. If you ask me to explain it to you, I cannot explain it to you. I cannot explain to you how Jesus can be both begotten and from forever. I, I, I can only work around the edges and I can tell you sort of what it means. And the creed is doing the same thing. When it says, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten. See, it's all the things. God of God, so he's got stuff. Light is always how we talk about God. Light of light. Very, which is the English way of saying absolutely true and not false. So sometimes in the English church, you receive, the Lutherans would say, or we would say in English, the true body of Christ. Well, the very body of Christ is even a stronger way to say it. Like, it can possibly be misunderstood as anything else. Very God of very God, the very same stuff, begotten, John's gospel, not made, which is in itself very difficult to understand. So he's, you know, theologians will talk about being eternally generated, right? Well, you know, generated usually seems like, see, the point is whether God has a a starting point, right? So you have a starting point, and you live forever. Human beings, this is sometimes we, we misunderstand this. We think that we have a starting point and an end point. You don't have an end point, right? You have a starting point, and you don't end. You do you know, get baptized, so you have your big death, and then you die at some point. You have your small death, and then your life is absolutely extraordinarily wonderful, which we should always remember about those people who have died, right? that their lives are wonderful before the face of God. But Jesus is different. Jesus doesn't have you know, any starting point, and he doesn't have any ending point, which is why you know, circles are so important. And eights are you know, its own kind of circle. Right? So it's why circles are important. You have circles all over inside. Why do you have circles? Because they don't have a start, they don't have an end. It's to mean, it means to direct you toward this part of the creed. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, right? by whom all things were made. You still okay? So, um, and we, I sort of gave you all the heresies. If you diminish either side, if you say... He, was only, he, wasn't, he wasn't man at all. It was just, he was just a ghost, right? He was part man. He's kind of something between God and man. If you say any of that kind of stuff, you get it wrong. In the same way, um, if you say he's not fully human, he didn't really suffer, he didn't really feel, 
uh, he didn't really love. It was just sort of God acting among us, which is more popular in Eastern religions. So, for example, um, the Krishnas appear incarnate, but only for a period of time. This is one difference between how Christ incarnates. Christ incarnate, this is how much you're loved. The second person of the Trinity, who is eternal from forever, right? Lives from forever, loves you so to make wrongs right, takes flesh and blood, and never gives it up. This is, a, this is a huge mistake that people often make, that they think that Jesus only had flesh and blood while he was on earth for 33 years. Not true. Jesus has flesh and blood right now. This is the great affirmation of you. This is why any time when people say, Jesus doesn't save us through stuff, you know, like when I give lectures, you know, roundabout, and people are like anti-baptism or anti-Eucharist, because God would never save us through stuff. That's pure Platonism. I always just ask if they celebrate Christmas. The stuff in the manger is the stuff that saves you, right? The stuff in the manger has a tongue, and it says to you, I baptize you. The stuff in the manger is in the chalice. So today, when you go to the altar, what you do is you take your sins and you put them in the chalice, right? And Jesus absorbs your sins and gives you back holiness. That's what happens. You leave your sins at the altar. You pitch them over the rail. That's what you do here. And then you go away without your sins. You know, we only have one song. This is all we got. This is all we got. This is all we got. And we just keep saying it, that Jesus does everything, everything, everything. Jesus does everything, and you say, thank you very much. Our problem is, is either we try to impede that by saying, we'll help, or we ignore it. So when Jesus gives us disciplines like, hey, if you talk to me, I'll listen. Or you can fast, and it'll be good to keep the demons away. There's a, today we're doing a, with so many people getting married, young folks getting married, that we're doing, the pastors are doing four hours with Sandy Khan right after the late service today. Um, I think there's nine couples or eight couples or something like that. We've kind of lost track. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, why am I telling you this? Because I'm old and I can't remember stuff. Why am I telling you about this? Spin back, incarnation, love the baby Jesus, get married. I can't remember why I'm telling you that. <laughs> Talk among yourselves. I'll come back to it. There's a reason I was telling you that. There was a part of it. Probably there was a story in there. It'd be the first story I ever told you. I know. You're not used to that. Uh, for me, everything's connected in my head. It's just the connections aren't as good as they used to be. So there you go. All right. Think, look over here. Look at the shiny object. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Um, so now we're, at the, now we're at the thing that I just handed out to you. Uh, gosh, I wish I could remember why I was telling you that because it was something certainly about how wonderful they were. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm ready for the joy group. <laughs> you don't go to the joy group. Don't give me that false piety. Only joy groupers can take offense. The shites? I repent to you, Mr. Shite. Yes, amen. Thank you very much. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right there, buddy. Thank you. Oh, see? You're like, you're like Jesus to me, Wayne. I'm going to just call you Jesus from now on. Or I might, I might, uh, I might, I might, uh, I might call you Kanye. Who knows? All right. So um, just checking to see what you're listening to, you life of Pablo fans. All right. Here we go. So Jesus, you know, wants to be tender with us, right? 
We went through, you know, John 1 together. Where I want to push you now is to Philippians 2, 5, okay? So, you know, you could, you could spend your kind of whole life doing this, but um, Philippians, you remember we did the whole of Philippians a few years ago. Um, it's so great because it's so happy. It's, Philippians is one of the books of the Bible where things actually work, right? It's so nice because things work. This is, he finally writes a church and he says, you know, thanks for doing what Jesus asked you to do, right? Thanks, thanks for doing that. Um, and this very, these, this very nice, so Philippians 2, 5, which people think probably was a hymn that was sung in the early church and then got absorbed into the text, which is um, completely good. So, I mean, just start at the beginning of 2. If there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's baptismal talk. You're united with Christ in your baptism. If there's any comfort from his love, Right, So he loves you, and if that consoles you. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, right? Communion, koinonia, right? In the Eucharist, and then also uh, with the Holy Trinity. If there's any, look at that, if any tenderness and compassion. Make my joy complete. I mean, for goodness sakes, you got a whole congregation there in one verse. So what are we meant to be, you know? We're meant to be united with Christ. We're meant to be compassionate and joyful in that. By being like-minded, that's going to that's come back and be important. That's phreneo. That's like, you know, um, like phrenology when you read the bumps on somebody's head and you can tell their future and what's wrong with them, right? So, so by like-minded, you share or have among you, sometimes it says have among you the mind of Christ, right? So you think Jesus thinks this and you think this. We all think the same thing. When we all think the same thing, then we, there's nothing to fight about because there's no rub, so let yourselves be like-minded, uh, not about every little thing, you know, but about the main things, about we'll forgive each other and we'll love each other and we'll live in grace and a peace is important and that brings joy and we'll stand with each other in suffering, all of that kind of stuff, right? By being one spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. You want, to, want it to go wrong? Be selfish. Be proud. <clears throat> Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how does the church work? You know, that we care both for ourselves and for other people, right? The manna fund, for example, that's what you... Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then the question is, where did Jesus ever get that attitude? And, of course, behind this is going to be, where do you get this attitude? Well, you get Jesus, you get his attitude, right? So then... You get Jesus, and Jesus got his attitude from what? What does it mean when we say, this man is God? John Wayne, in the Bible. Surely this man must, man must be the Son of God, right? You've seen it, haven't you? If not, you should. Uh, you know, surely this man must be the Son of God. Who, being in the very nature of God, right, I don't know why my book, the print keeps getting smaller here. Hold on just a second. I just want to check something here. I suspect that that's going to be who in the morphe, like um, last week's Jesus morphed, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Transfiguration, who in the form of God, um, the same nature of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, which, of course, is the definition of pride. 
So you heard in today's readings, you're going to hear about Adam and the second Adam, Old Testament epistle, right? So Adam comes in pride, grasping to be God. Satan says to him, did God really say? I think you're missing out here, right? Did God really say? And then the second Adam comes, who doesn't grasp, doesn't, isn't prideful enough, prideful enough to say, this is what I must have. This is your king, humble, riding colt the foal of an ass. This is your king who finds his glory being lifted up on the cross, John's gospel, right? Who didn't um, consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be run after. He made himself nothing, right? Made himself. This is why humility, of course, is the chief virtue, because Pride is the chief sin. And, of course, humility springs from love. If you want humility, you don't aim at humility, right? Because you can't, you know, you can't chase it down. You can't quite track it down. It's, it comes next. Taking the very nature of a servant. So you see how that's parallel with nature of God? Takes the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, Right? He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, right? So that's full blast obedience. You'll do anything, including die. He became obedient, even death on a cross, which is the most humiliating and torturous way that you know, the Romans could devise to kill people. It was brutal. You know, they would, they would hang. It comes from the Assyrians. The Assyrians used to... When the Assyrians would overrun a place, if people wouldn't capitulate, they would pull out the door frame, sharpen the point like a pencil, and toss you up and catch you underneath the ribs. It then killed you. It got perfected over the years. Um, the way that Jesus crucified, when they're so surprised that he's still alive, it's because people lasted so long. Josephus had a slave. The great Jewish historian Josephus went out to a campaign once. He comes back three days later, and his slave has been mistaken somehow for an insurrectionist and been crucified, they actually take his slave down off the cross and the guy lives and continues to serve him, right? Because you were meant to die this horrible death over a length of time from the elements, but, you know, the birds are pecking at your eyes and the insects and the pain and you can't breathe and you often die from suffocation and you didn't always have the the seat. They take the seat off so you could push yourself up with your legs and you start this horrible thing of you feel like you're asphyxiating and then you push up to take a breath, but then you can't take it anymore because your, your muscles don't move. It's just like it's the most horrible thing they could describe. And it was often done on the roads to Jerusalem. There's a place where it says, it's in Martin Hengel's book on the crucifixion, where it says there were times when you would go into Rome and, you know, the last few miles you would walk would be people hanging on crosses. In fact, it's, he has a thing where he quotes an ancient historian where he said, the Romans crucified people until they ran out of wood. Now, you can imagine that you've been to Israel, right? Because there, there aren't, you know, a lot of big... Tr- they crucified people until they ran out of wood, right? It's just the most remarkable thing that you'd say, oh, sure, I'll take that, right? I'll take that for you types. I'll take that. Um, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. And then genuflection right here in the Bible, that at the name of Jesus and also then at the body of Jesus when it comes to the altar. I was at a thing all day Friday at, a, at the at University of St. Mary's in Mundelein. Um, and um, I had a couple of, of 
Uh, they weren't nuns yet, so I don't know where they were in their progress, but very simply dressed in, you know, they're probably 17 or 18 or 19, and you sort of think, you know, what's ahead for them. But this, um, these deep reverential bows at the name of any time the Trinitarian name was spoken, you think, you know, um, I mean, God bless you, my children. Uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, right? So even the demons are forced to capitulate. So you can have it in the gospel way or you can have it in the law way. But at the end of the day, Jesus will be king. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. See, even the demons know and shudder, right, in James' gospel. See, even the demons know that he is, right? Uh, writer, if you saw long ago on Ash Wednesday, um, Mel Gibson's thing. What was the name of it? Passion of the Christ, where the, you know, Jesus dies and the, the, they show Satan and then there's this long tear, this tear that seems to drop from heaven and sort of changes the, the devil's demeanor, right? Um, that every time you should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You'll have God one way or, the, where, way, one way or another. It's, it's much more better to have him, the forgiveness, gospel, love, obedient, discipline, you know, tithing, coming to church, taking the Eucharist baptismal way than it is to have in the prideful, rebellious way. And that's what Lent's all about. All right. Um, I promise you next week that I will aim to get through the last three pages. All right, that's all I can. I can only do so much. I'm a man and not a God. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you next week. Come, come Wednesday. Come for dinner. <laughs>